one through 12. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers, or why do you despise your brothers? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We live in a time where, for the lack of a better word, we'll say there are many flavors of Christianity. Uh, There are countless number of denominations. You think just a few. We have Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterians. But within those, you have many different even flavors of the different denominations. So you have PCA, you have OPC, you have EPC, you have Southern Baptist, Missionary Baptist, Free Will Baptist. There's all these kind of different, if you were to look at the, the family tree of Christianity, we have branches upon branches upon branches. It can be a confusing thing. And each in each of these different denominations and each of these different flavors, they have different things that they, they hold to, that they believe. Uh, we understand that for the majority of it, we have the, the core of the gospel that we share in common. But there's some things that we simply don't agree, agree on. Some of them are theological. What is the difference between infant baptism and believer's baptism? What's the difference between predestination and free will? Some of them we might consider moral issues. Is it okay to drink? Is it okay to smoke? Is it okay to gamble? These are differences that we need to understand, and not everyone has it right. And when I say not everyone, I mean not everyone. Even we as a church don't have everything right. I mean, I think we do, you know. I'm sure there's something we got wrong. There are some things that we're just going to disagree on, and we have to learn to live in our disagreements. The church has not always done this well. I I think that we can see this because we have all these different flavors. Because you can drive down 231, and I don't, 
I didn't really count, but how many different kinds of Baptist churches do you have? I, I just, I'm not picking on the Baptist. We are a Baptist city. If you, per capita, we have more Baptist churches than anything else. And they all can be different. They're not all under the same head. The question is, how do we live in our disagreements? Paul here has divided, or we can divide his passage here into three sections. But they're really doing two things. They're pitting the strong against the weak, or the weak against the strong, saying the strong, you should not despise the weak. Weak, you should not judge the strong. And in the heart of it, we see his foundation for this. Every Christian, without exception, is a servant of God. It is to the master and to no one else that we must answer. So as we consider this this morning, we'll see it in three points. First, we're going to see it in ju- as judgments of food. Second, we'll see it on judgments of days. And third and finally, we'll see judgments of one another. Paul begins by contrasting the strong and the weak. And he says, you who are strong and you who are weak must receive one another with respect to faith. But before we go any further, I think we have to acknowledge something that Paul's doing here. His language is not accidental. He's saying that there are some who are strong in the faith and there are some who are weak in the faith. And what he's implying here is that the strong understand something that the weak don't. Uh, particularly in these two things we'll see here, just in, uh, as an introductory kind of statement about them, he's saying, look, the food laws of the Old Testament are no longer in place. The strong understand this while the weak don't. He says, look, the uh, observances of days from the Old Testament are not held the same way anymore, and the strong understand this and the weak don't. He's not trying to disparage one over the other, but he is making a theological observation that there is an understanding that it is okay now, it is not a sin, for example, to eat bacon. My wife rejoices in this daily. It is not a sin anymore to eat bacon. In the Old Testament, it was a sin. You could not eat bacon. But we have this picture of Peter And the table, the cloth with the four corners, and Jesus saying, what I have made clean, let no man call unclean. And hence, bacon became kosher. And there was much rejoicing. But there's an implication here that the stronger understand this, and the weaker do not understand this. Again, I don't believe that Paul is holding one as better than the other. He is simply making a statement. And so he begins here. He says, the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Now, immediately we understand who is Paul talking to? Who is the one who is to welcome the weaker brother? He's talking to the stronger. You must welcome those who are weaker in faith. This is not simply saying, all right. Uh, welcome. It's a, a greater and deeper welcoming. It's welcoming them, there, welcoming them into your home as friends, a, a, an intimate fellowship. You're to welcome them. 
Don't quarrel over opinions. And over and over again, what is it that he's saying is weaker and stronger? He's pointing to their faith, one who is weaker in faith and one who is stronger in faith. When he uses this word faith here, what does he mean? Does he mean ultimate faith? Does he say that one has a greater understanding of Christ as their Savior and Lord and the other one doesn't? No, this is not what he's saying. He's saying this is the the day-to-day implications of the the faith that you hold. How does your faith live out? In essence, it's the struggle from being free from certain Old Testament Jewish, Jewish traditions and not being free from them. It's Paul's hope, I believe, that the weaker would indeed become stronger, but in the meantime, there is to be unity in the church, and we must do this with the right motivation. There may be differences, as Paul calls them, of opinions. The eating of meat, the observing of days. Later in Romans, Paul's going to talk about the drinking of wine. But he says here, you must receive each other well. Do not despise one another. Do not judge one another. But welcome one another. Paul begins this debate by talking about the quarrels over food. And he says some are vegetarians while others choose to eat meat. And really what he's talking about, this is not the modern context of should we eat meat or not eat meat. This is not what's going on here. In Paul's day, it was so hard to know where your meat was coming from. You'd go to the market and you'd buy meat. Even if it was meat that was permissible for an Old Testament Jew to eat, they had no idea who that, sacri- that meat may have been sacrificed to. Maybe the few hours before they were up to some uh, pagan god or Zeus or Hera or whoever you want to say, and that meat was being sacrificed to them, but now it was being sold in the market. And so what some did was, well, since I can't know where all this meat came from, I'm just going to abstain from eating meat. I'm going to be a vegetarian. That's what Paul's talking about here. There were those who had consciously chose to abstain from eating meat, not because they believed it was wrong to eat all meat, but because they just weren't sure. So he says this, some eat meat and eat anything, while others eat only vegetables. The stronger in faith went into the marketplace and said, it doesn't matter who this may, they think they may have sacrificed this food to, meat is meat, and I'm going to eat it. It didn't matter. I didn't participate in this sacrifice. I don't believe in this sacrifice. But God put this animal here for me to eat, and I'm going to eat it. And that was the difference. Paul begins, and he says, look, accept one another. Understand that you both have faults in this, and there must be unity. He says, look, strong, don't despise. This is disdainful, condemning judgment to despise someone. And you can imagine the position of the strong. We are the keepers of truth and knowledge. And you are puny, insignificant, ignorant people. Therefore, we hold our knowledge above you and we despise you for your weak ignorance. Have you ever encountered someone like that? 
who because they thought they had more and knew more than you, they talked down to you, they belittled you, they despised you. He says, you who are strong cannot despise those who are weak, those who you think hold to foolish, outdated ways. But you can also, in the same breath, imagine the weak who would justify themselves like this. We are the righteous remnant. We are the keepers of truth. So we come with our righteous inundation and we judge you for your lack of faith and eating of this pagan meat. You can imagine this, right? This is not so uncommon and far removed from our context. Think no further than the great cinema epic Footloose. There shall be no dancing in this town, and I hold the righteous judgment down upon you, children who would dance. Right? (laughs) We understand that this cannot be the case either. We cannot despise and we cannot judge because we must understand who has welcomed him. Into verse 3, God has welcomed him. It is to God and God alone that the believer answers. It is God and God alone whom we must please. Not the weak, not the strong. We cannot stand in positions of judgment in this case. It is the Lord who is the judge and it is the Lord we must please. Let me stop for let me stop thanks to the Lord. Let me stop for a second and say this. When we look here and says you cannot judge, this is not, we can't come to this text and say, oh, well, the Bible's saying we can never judge anything to be right or wrong ever. That's not what this is saying. In fact, we can go to other texts and we can say it is right for us as Christians to discern right from wrong and to judge things as either sinful or not sinful. But there's a difference between judging right from wrong and coming to someone and saying, this is sinful and this is sin that you are participating in your life. There's a difference between that and this. There's a remove here and we have to understand that remove. We cannot come with a judgmental attitude on those who are doing something different than we're doing that are not it is, is it wrong for the, the person to be vegetarian? No, it is not sinful. Is it wrong for the person to eat meat? No, it's not sinful. It's about honoring God, and each will honor God in his own way in this sense. So how do we obtain approval? It's not by following through laws, but the, by the power of the Lord. It's by the power we receive through grace power of the gospel now the issue of food is something that was very important in this context it's not something that we tend to get as worked up nowadays we can eat pretty much any food we want but I think an issue that we can look at that is very similar to this is the issue of alcohol it is one that is heated and charged particularly in a Christian context. And we have to say this on the onset. Nowhere in Scripture is alcohol forbidden. Nowhere. Certainly it is forbidden that we should be drunk. 
We should never be drunk. This is as true today as it ever was. But the fact remains that we can say it is not a sin to drink. But you will have those who will stand on one place and say, we should not drink because drinking leads to drunkenness and therefore we will never drink. And that's okay. And you'll have others who will say, I can drink and drink responsibly, enjoy what God has given, and that's okay. On one hand, you have the stronger, and on the other hand, you have the weaker. We cannot judge one over the other. We must know that we live our life before God and God alone. So we have to be careful how we look at one another on these issues that we don't agree over. And that's just one. There are others. I can go into all of them, but I think that's a, a big one. But Paul goes on. He says in verse 5, one person esteems a day as better, while the other esteems all days alike. <clears throat> Again, here we have the same kind of issue. They're disagreeing over the observation of days. The weaker brother judges one day as to be more important than another, while the stronger judges each day to be the same. And days were important in Old Testament Judaism. You had fastings, you had feasts, you had Sabbaths. And these days, uh, throughout the history of Israel, became points of contention. (coughs) Excuse me. But Paul is returning again, once again, and he's using this to rebuke the notion of having a judgmental attitude. He points... Uh, both to the strong and to the weak. And again, he says, no matter what the position you hold, both the strong and the weak, both those who hold to a Sabbath, they do it because they sincerely believe it honors the Lord. Those who hold to feasts, they do it because they believe it honors the Lord. Both groups eat and drink And as they eat, they give thanks to God, whether they eat meat or don't eat meat, and they glorify in God for what he has provided for them. And Paul makes a very important point here, starting in verse 7. None of us live to himself. Excuse me, for none of us live to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether you live or whether you die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Paul here is giving the centrality of the reign of God over our lives, of the Lord. Christ's death and resurrection have established him as the Lord of all believers. And so we must recognize that everything we do, both in life and in death, we do for the Lord. Not for the benefit of other Christians. I don't live righteously so that you can see me live righteously. I live righteously before God. No one lives or dies to themselves. The circumstances of all our life and death are determined by Christ. It's wholly in his hands. He sets the time of our birth. He sets the time of our death. All takes place according to his own will. 
And we, in this way, we belong wholly to him. Paul says it's for this reason Christ came. Or for to this end, I should say, Christ died and lived again. It's not that Paul's saying here that Christ is not eternally Lord. But there's something special and specific that happens in his death and resurrection. In order to become Lord of the living and the dead, he had to come, 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for those But for him and for their sake, he died and was raised. Through Christ's death and resurrection, he enables the Christian to live for the Lord rather for themselves. He has established his lordship over all, especially the Christians. There is a specific and special uh, kingdom lordship that comes through Christ's death and resurrection. It can only come through his death and resurrection. And it is through that that he has enabled us to receive faith. Now again, the observation of days is not something that we can readily identify with. We no longer hold the feast. We no longer hold the festivals. Uh, We do hold the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not something that's gone away. And so we can ask ourselves, how do we keep the Sabbath? How do we, we could go around this room and individually say, how is it that you will keep the Sabbath today? I would be surprised if we had two people in the room who kept the Sabbath the exact same way. Does that mean that there's one person who's doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong? Maybe. Does that mean that one is a follower of Christ and the other isn't? Definitely not. The Sabbath is important and we're to keep it. And we're to go to scripture and we're going to see what scripture says to us about how we keep it. But it's not for us to stand in judgment over someone who keeps the Sabbath differently from us. Well, you know, the Sabbath really only permits a two-hour nap and you took a a two-and-a-half-hour nap. And therefore, you have not kept the Sabbath well. We can't do that. We don't get to come into someone else's life and say, let me tell you the structure for which you are going to keep the Sabbath today. You were going to, maybe I was a Puritan preacher and I was going to come and say, if you did not prepare your meal last night and have it sitting on the table for when you get home, and you better not clean up those dishes, you better wait till the next day to clean up the dishes, or you're a, a dirty Sabbath breaker. It's not for me to tell you that. Now, if I am convicted of that in my heart, then I will do that as to the Lord. We cannot come with judgmental attitudes. We have to come carefully, lovingly, challenging one another. We understand, particularly on Sabbath, Sabbath observation is something that must happen. It's the fourth commandment. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We must be doing it. How we do it is not always clear. And Paul, once again, brings this point home. You don't judge one another. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? He's repeating some of the language he's already used. 
And he's asking the question again. He's bringing his point home. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Strong, you cannot despise the weak. Weak, you cannot judge the strong. But interestingly here, he calls them what? Brothers, siblings, those who have the same father, you who are related are not to be judging one another. And he is strongly chastising the Roman community here. Each of them is is guilty of casting doubt on the status of, of the members of his family. You can imagine how this would be in the context if we were an actual family. You know, crazy Uncle George, this is how he's been doing. And yet that's the same kind of thing we do. Oh, look at this person here. Or look at this person there. But it's not one another whom we answer to. We stand before the judge. He says, you will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, he quotes from Isaiah here, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. It's to God and God alone, the judge of all. He is the only one we bow to. He is the only one we confess to. He is the only one we swear allegiance to. Therefore, we cannot claim this right over someone else. We cannot stand in the place of God for one another. Each of us, each of you, you will appear before the judgment seat of God. You will give an account for your actions. This is without exception. He is the all-knowing judge of history. So understand this. Those you judge, or you may be tempted to judge, they will answer to God. But so will you. So will you. I think the issue of judgment, this topic of judgment is one that the church really needs to hear today. Because in a way, judgment tends to be one of our favorite pastimes. We may disagree with other denominations. The Baptists may be going, oh, those silly Presbyterians, splashing water on their babies. We may go, oh, those silly Baptists, We may disagree with one another sitting next to us. Can you believe what Mark did? Can you believe what Daniel did? We may disagree with those who don't think just the way we think. Well, that's not how I would have done it. I'd have done it different. That's not how I'd have painted those walls. Can you believe the carpet they picked? Paul, he comes and rebukes us. It's not for you to stand in judgment. You may despise those who are different than you, but no, they will answer to God. But so will you. And so you may be tempted and you may run into each other out at restaurants and 
maybe one person or another person sitting there with a drink, and you may not be comfortable with that, but it's not for you to judge. And you may be at someone's house, and you may realize, oh, they don't drink at all, and it's not for you to judge. We are to live at peace. We are to love one another. Yes, we're to challenge one another. It's not that we just sit by and just say, well, I can never say anything to anyone about anything. That's not what Paul is saying. If I come into this pulpit and I am smashed from week to week and you know that I'm hungover and drunk, you better be challenging me because that is a sin. But there's a difference between that and and some of the other things Paul's talking about here. There are any number of things that we can come to one another and judge each other of. We can judge each other of our habits, our practices, our theology. But we're all at different spots. We talk about our sanctification, our process of being made holy. We're not all in the same exact spot on that that journey of being made holy. And we have to understand that. We cannot judge one another. We know that God is the one who judges, and God alone, and will answer to him. You will have to answer to no one else but to God. Ultimately, And so we must wait on him. We must live for him. For God, who is ruler of all, understanding that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Ooh, man. Does that terrify you? Each of us. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter how good you think you are, or how bad you think you are, you're going to give an account of yourself to God. Even those who are in Christ Jesus, even those of us who have him as our identity, we still give an account of ourselves before God. This is universally true. So Paul is calling us to live out our Christian life a certain way before one another, not for the sake of each other, but because of the sake of, for the sake of God. Are we living out our, our life in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God? Are we living out our life in the Christian life as one that is not judgmental of each other in this room, of other Christians, of even the world around us? Again, not saying we don't judge sin to be sin. But we cannot be those who add to the law, who define it the way we want it to be defined. Brothers and sisters in Christ, would we live our life according to what Paul has stated here before us? Living, knowing that Christ and God, he is our judge. So we are to live humbly, meekly, and lovingly before one another and for the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we acknowledge our own sinfulness in this area, that we can be those who are quick to judge, who are quick to anger, who are quick to 
uh, cast a disparaging word. But Lord, would we know that you are the only judge, that we will answer before you. Give us humble and meek hearts, understanding our position before you, that we are all without answer. And so we should not be those who call for answer from those around us. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.